0: Paramedic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick, and today on our episode, we're going to talk about clinical consults. And this is another episode that was brought to us by the medics in the field, doing the work every day. And this is, in some sense, a service-specific question. We have specific consults that uh, medics must pose here at MCHD. But in all honesty, this is a situation that we run into throughout medicine. I consult cardiologists every day. There's no doubt in whatever system that you're working in, to the non-MCHD listeners out there, you know, this is something that is, is pretty common where consultation is required to superiors or to specialists. And countless hours are spent studying and learning when these discussions are warranted, when I should consult the cardiologist, when we should activate the STEMI, when Ashley needs to discuss uh, DSI with with her superior, what the indications are for DSI as far as respiratory failure or altered mental status or soiled airways, but there's little time spent on how to make that consult. And Ashley Fillmore, a district chief here at MCHD, has worked diligently over the past months, years, on streamlining our consult process here at MCHD. She's tutored medics who are taking the steps up the ladder. She's graciously agreed to join us here today and help us create really a consult framework. So let's start real quickly before we dive into discussing consults with what requires a consultation here in Montgomery County. Uh, our consultation process has been whittled down over the time that I've been here as assistant medical director over the past six years or so. And now really the, the high points are delayed sequence intubation, specifically paralytic rocuronium use, difficult refusals, and high risk refusals. So all services are not created equal. Formulating your consult ask though, should be pretty similar across medications or procedures. We used to have a consult, for example, for lebetalol here at MCHD. We don't have that in the protocols anymore, but even if you weren't doing delayed sequence intubation, for example, your framework still needs to be similar, whether it's a medication ask or a procedure ask or even a difficult or a high risk refusal. So, Ashley, what's the number one thing when you're listening for a consult or you're thinking about how you're going to formulate your own consult, what's the number one first foundational point that you want to hit on?
1: So the number one thing that I'm looking for whenever a crew reaches out to me asking for a consult is what is it that they're wanting? What do they need? What are they asking for? Um, if I have a crew stating they need DS, they need a DSI, I'm looking for highlighted points throughout that consult that is going to lead me one way or the other. Are we going to need to DSI this person? I'm looking for... Um, You know, all these things of are they able to oxygenate? Are they able to ventilate? Are we having to assist them in those things? There's different highlighted things for different consults that you're asking for. If I don't know what you're asking for, then I don't know what key points to look for. Um, If you go through an entire console and then at the end say, oh, by the way, I'm doing a high-risk refusal, I might have missed something that entire console. And so it's very important to start out saying, hi, this is Ashley Fillmore, I'm on Medic 13, I'm consulting for DSI, I've already administered ketamine, I would like to administer my paralytic now, Um, my patient presented with this, and then proceed with your console from there. Because now I know from you stating this is what I want, I have other options to look for. I have an algorithm in my head that I'm following from there forward on, okay, maybe we need to try BiPAP or CPAP, or maybe we need to give a patient IV Nitro, they haven't tried that yet, or whatever may have you before we DSI.
0: I 100% agree. Lead with the most important part. Don't make it a riddle or a treasure hunt you're listening for certain things and the only way you can know what to listen for is to know what they're asking for. You, you led into number two pretty nicely. And first off, what are you asking for? Secondly, how did the patient start out? You know, what did they, what do they call for? I listen to emergency physicians in the ED consulting specialist, and it's sometimes a blessing and a curse because you hear people do it well and you hear people do it poorly. Um, cause we, you know, sit close to each other sometimes and you can hear folks on the phone and they'll talk for three or four minutes and I'll have no idea what, what was the presentation? How, how did the patient show up? You know, what, what are their age? What's their sex? What's the pertinent medical history? This is one where pertinent on my notes here is in all caps because we have to be a good judge of what's pertinent and what's not. And I would argue that if you're consulting for a DSI, their statin dose is probably never pertinent. You know, if they have a history of C O P D, that's pertinent if we're dealing with a respiratory failure patient. If they have mental health history and their refusal patient, or they've had recent toxin ingestion or alcohol on board and they're a refusal patient, that's important. But you know, when they got their mumps, measles and rubella vaccination, it's probably not important. And that's that's obviously a uh an out there example, but you only have so much listening ability as the person who's being consulted. You've got to be concise, and you've got to hit the pertinence. And then the initial complete vitals, which is probably the most important piece of how did the patient start out. So reason for the call, what's the age, what's the pertinent medical history, and then give a picture of, of stability or instability. And if you're talking about delayed sequence intubation, for example, that's really important. Did the patient start out with a respiratory rate of 12 and an oxygen saturation of 99 because my antenna is immediately going off. What, what, what happened here? So that would be my key number two. What about number three? So what, what are you asking for? how the patient start out? Where do you go next?
1: So number three is going to be what has been done so far. So if you arrive on scene and they have abnormal vital signs, say that their SBO2 is 80% and you put them on oxygen, um, we want to focus on those abnormal vital signs and abnormal symptoms, and we want to know what your treatments were for that. And that will kind of help lead us in the next direction, right? Did your treatments improve them? Did they make them better? Did it make them worse? Um, And, you know, another thing that a lot of people forget is temperature and entitle. So entitle can help us, you know, um, decide whether this is like COPD exacerbation, um, some type of like metabolic acidosis or something like that. Also, with uh, temperature, we sometimes forget to take temperatures. What if the patient's super tachycardic? Their SPO2 is a little low because, you know, they're a CPD patient, so it's 90-91. Are they tachycardic because they're septic because we forgot to take their temp, and their temp is actually 103? Or are they tachycardic with a temperature of 97.9, and this is actually a respiratory issue? So those vital signs are also very important. Um, It's also important for... Meet on the other end to know, have you obtained vascular access with this patient? Because what if it's a hypoxic patient that is now combative and you had to um, sedate them with IM ketamine and you haven't gotten a line yet? when I'm giving you orders, I need to know, are you giving the next dose via IO, IV? Have you even established that yet? Um, Because those are important if we're going to give a paralytic, especially if they've gone to the point where they can't maintain their own airway or um, they're, you know, because of vomiting or whatever may have you. Um, So yeah, those are, those are very important. And the last thing that's especially important for patients like that is their mental capacity. And that's is extremely important, especially on the high-risk refusals. That's the number one thing that I want to know on high-risk refusals is, does this patient even have the capacity to refuse? And if they don't, do they have a power of attorney or um, somebody that is a caregiver or um, watches over them? Are they, you know, a warden of the state? Does somebody else make medical decisions for them that we can bring in to hopefully um, look at every puzzle piece of this picture.
0: So I'm going to split those into two parts and hold on the refusal portion. We'll hit that one at the end. I want to talk a little bit, go back to some of those points that were excellent on what has been done so far. Realistically, we are consulting for usually step three or step four in the process. Usually we're not consulting for the initial treatment, medication or the initial treatment procedure, whether that's, you know, an albuterol NEB, you know, the the in charge on scene is going to start the albuterol NEB, for example, in most every service out there. When we get to the consultations, we're thinking about usually step four or step five in the process where we've had no response to step one, step two, step three. So it's really important to paint that picture to the listener to the person taking the consult that you've tried everything that you can try in your toolbox before you get to that consult point. Because usually that consult point is a higher risk, lower frequency procedure, medication, situation. So end title, for example, just like you mentioned, if we've done NEBS and we've done BiPAP and the initial end title was 50 and the end title now is 58, that's a very important data point to say everything that we've tried really isn't working because if it's working we would see that go the other direction. S- same with you know same with temp it gives us a key into severity of overall illness, heart rate. If we've bolus the patient or we've started a presser drip and they're still tachycardic, all those things are signs that we've got a critically ill patient and we need we need to progress. And that really leads us into number four, where is the patient now? Last vitals are gonna be 100% key. Mental status, like you said, are they getting better? Are they getting worse from a mental status standpoint? And this is a reflection on, hey, we've tried all these treatments and we're getting worse or we've not gotten any better at all. But the only way you can know that is to give a picture of how the patient started out, what's been done so far, And then, where the patient is now. So, that's where those last vitals are key. The mental status is key. And it's important to paint a picture if you're talking about an airway, which airway consults are probably the most common in EMS. And that's just respiratory effort overall. And that's where, you know, the Rodney Dangerfield of Vital Signs comes in. If you're uh, old enough to remember Rodney Dangerfield, the comedian, he always, his tagline was, I get no respect. To me, that's respiratory rate. We talk about. Tachycardia and hypotension, fever, you know, intidal and intidal capnography is is you know key for us in in emergency medicine and EMS medicine with obstructive lung disease and metabolic acidosis on the low end and you know the shark fin pattern and obstruction and how how our slope is changing and whether our treatment's working, but we tend to forget respiratory rate and it has that standard. 18 or 20 or 16 or whatever is normal for your service or for your ed but overall respiratory rate especially in the age of covid when these folks can have respiratory rates 30 40 50 60 it's important to actually count that and follow that from your starting point to the point to where you're saying hey we need to move into the consult range whether it's whether you're consulting for BiPAP or you're consulting for DSI or you're consulting for some higher risk, lower frequency request, it's important to have a whole picture. You've painted your picture now. You've started with your ask. How the patient start out? What's been done? Where are you now? What do you What do you have to finish up with? What's the close of your consultation actually?
1: So the close of your consultation is going to be what is your plan now? So you've you've told me everything going up to this point now what do you plan on doing to fix it and so if you tell me okay i i plan on intubating this patient and this is how i'm going to do it i'm going to use a king vision with a channel blade with a bougie for my first step and if that fails then i'm going to go to my eye gel it's going to be a size four that's going to be my plan b and i'm also going to have my surgical airway out and it's going to be ready in arm's reach, in the case that both of those fail, I can establish an airway very quickly. And that lets me know on the other end, okay, this this sounds like it's going to go well. They have a plan, they have a backup plan, and then they have their backup backup plan. So it makes me on the other side feel, you know, it's, it's a lot different being on the other side not having laid eyes on this patient. And I'm having to do a assessment in my mind. So when I have somebody that's on the other end that is calm talking to me and they have their plan laid out, it makes me feel like, okay, this, this patient, they have somebody that has a plan ready to go. If something fails, they're ready with the other end. And it sounds like things are going to go smoothly and well. And you know, the last thing in that section is you should repeat back what you're told. So if I tell you you're clear for one milligram per kilogram of rock rionium and that's the equivalent of 70 milligrams of rock because your patient weighs 70 kilograms. You need to repeat that back to me. So you're going to say, okay, received district two. I'm clear for one milligram per kilogram of rock, it's going to be 70 kilograms of my patient, which is the equivalent of 70 milligrams. So that, that's closed loop communication. We know that there was nothing messed up there at all. I know that you understood what I said. You understand what I say on your, what I said on your end. And so I know that you know exactly what to give and where to go from there. So um, I think, I think there are some times though where consults do get denied, right? So Working in the ED, I know you've probably gotten consults in the emergency room. Um, what are what are things that you look for that cause you to deny consults?
0: Honestly, I would say my most common scenario is you know I've worked in some places where we have base station type setup where medics call in and consult. I, I, I still work in in some of those spots. Not in Montgomery County, we don't we don't call in to to hospitals. Um, for the listeners out there, we don't have a base station type setup. but I, as an emergency physician, I do work in some of those situations. But the most common consultation issue that I have is probably not medics. It's probably my own asking the cardiologist or the hand surgeon Mm -hmm. or the trauma surgeon. And this is where I've had to learn lessons really the hard way. And when I trained as a resident, we didn't have a setup like your consult Guide, and we'll post Ashley's consult documents on the show notes so listeners can download and have a look. Really organized, and honestly, I wish I'd have had something similar when I was training. I didn't go through these five steps of what's the ask, how they present, what's been done, where's the patient now, and what's the plan. I learned by trial and error, and how do you kill a consult? You rush. If you rush, and you're nervous and your speech press is pressured number one it doesn't engender any confidence in the listener and you hit on that in the last one if you are taking a consult whether you're a cardiologist whether you're a district chief and the person on the other end sounds frazzled Mm -hmm. it's going to make you much more leery about about what's going on (laughs) if anybody out there knows me the more nervous that i get the more uncomfortable i get the faster i talk And the more my Kentucky roots come out in my twang, and people don't understand me as well. So speak slowly, speak clearly. It's always hectic, it's always loud on scene. Try to get to a spot to where you can talk and talk comfortably. It's always hectic and loud in the EV. Try to get to a part, a, a point, and a place where the person on the other end can hear you. If you have a bad connection, if you're going 100 miles a minute, if you're nervous and you don't have your thoughts collected, it's not going to be wrapped up neatly with a bow on top. Hit the high points. We're not rambling here. This is not a, a, a Shakespearean soliloquy. We want to get to the point and get to the point quickly and allow the person to ask questions. You don't have to give every single data point that you've collected over the 20 minutes or the half an hour you've taken care of the patient. That's just too much. You want to hit the high points, let, let the listener know that you have a plan in place, and then they can ask questions. There's nothing wrong with that. And then you can fill in those data points as needed. And lastly, I would say, if you really want to torpedo and ask for help, be a jerk, lose your tone, get defensive. All of those frustrations coming out in your voice aren't going to help you at all. And I know you've been probably on both ends. I have, and I've gotten off the phone with consultants and been like, man, that went really poorly. they, They didn't listen. I'm not getting what I want for the patient. And then you go back and think about it and it's like, well, I was short or I was defensive or I was a jerk or I was all three. And that rarely gets you where you want to be. So we're going to go through some of these again you've done it on both ends as the the in charge and now the district chief how do you make it successful so a lot of these are kind of the opposite of what we just talked about but think about how you've seen them go bad how you've seen them go well and how do you how do you make yourself successful in these situations
1: okay um so one of the ways to make yourself self-successful in this situation is to know your protocol. So if you're consulting for DSI, it's important to know your rule of 15s, to know your dosage for ketamine, your dosage for rock, rock, your dosage for (laughs) post-induction, and to tell me those things initially. Don't make me ask for those things. Um, Also, don't forget that it's okay that you have your protocol app and to have that up and looking at it that way you don't miss anything at all. It provides the best patient care. Just because you're looking at your app doesn't mean it, it doesn't nobody's going to think differently of you. If anything, I'm going to think better because you're making sure you don't miss a single thing throughout that. Um, also, say that you're you know, you brought up how we used to consult Lebeta Law previously. Um, one of the things I I consulted a, for libido (laughs) once before and whenever i was consulting i made sure to include the contraindications as well so that person on the other end knew that i knew not not just the indications but the contraindications um if you show the person on the other end that you know what you're talking about and you're confident in what you're talking about then they feel more secure with the entire situation especially not being there um another thing that you kind of touched on is to talk very calmly and make sure to enunciate so make sure that everything that you're saying is calm getting across it's slow now don't talk like a turtle right um some of the stuff we have to do is it needs to be done in a timely manner but you need to talk slow enough to where the other person on the line can understand what you're saying because if you and I kind of talked about this a little bit before but if you come on the on the line and you're consulting with me and you're talking very fast and I can't understand what you're saying and you're just rambling as fast as you can just over and over and over just like that, then that's going to tell me maybe I need to go to this scene. Is this scene okay? Is it is it getting out of hand? Um, and I'm probably going to start picking up my stuff and heading that way a little quicker just to check on you and make sure that everything's okay. And and most importantly, that you're secure in the whole situation. Um, so on the other subject, back to DSI, you know, I, I, I want to know is this necessary? Have we exhausted all of our options? So you might not be getting denied because you sound like you're not competent or unintelligent or whatever may have you. Um, you could be the best paramedic in this County, but that doesn't mean that this patient necessarily needs to be DSI'd and your consults being, you know, just not approved for that. Um, maybe you, maybe you forgot about like IV nitro and the CHF patient or, um, you know, using BiPAP on the COPD patient. Maybe we can change the settings a little bit. Maybe you had initially the wrong settings. And that's something to let me in on. That way I can say, oh, bingo, ding, 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 like let's try this. And if they improve, then hopefully we can keep that patient from getting on a vent and get him to the hospital a little quicker. Um, You know, we want to make sure that all of our hard stops are met referring back to the rule of 15s, making sure that um, the patient's not hypotensive, below 90 systolic for paralytic use, making sure that their SpO2 is above 94%. We want to make sure that our plan is in place with our backups, which we discussed earlier. If, if you know, We always need to make sure that our initial plan has the backup and the backup and the backup. So if we don't have all those things, if you don't tell me what your backup plan is going to be, then your your consult might be denied or it might need a little more guidance on my end.
0: And honestly, you just closed the loop, the circle, because you started with know the protocol's cold. When you're asking for a consult, you have to think about what the person you're consulting is listening for. And they're listening for the protocol. They're listening to know that you know the indication for what you're asking for, and the contraindications, just like you said. Is it necessary? Have you maxed every step up until said procedure or said medication? Hard stops in place, if you have hard stops for, you know, we've talked a lot about intubation here, but we have oxygenation and systolic blood pressure, hard stops for paralytic use. So that's gonna be key to that consult because that's really the go or no go determinant. And then the plan in place and the backup, so you can't speak those different points unless you know the protocol. And the listener is not going to grant your consult unless they hear those and know that you know the protocol. So I, I think you looped it together really nicely there. What about refusals? We talked about refusals a bit earlier in the con- in context of what's been done so far. Refusal is really a different animal in some sense in that you're you're getting at just like you said capacity and that's the key you have to be able to describe capacity or lack thereof when you're discussing that consult and this is less of a time sensitive situation you know we don't necessarily have a crashing patient a crashing airway Um, there's not hard stops to be met from a physiologic standpoint there's hard stops to be met from a capacity determination standpoint and when you really start to think about it that way, it's more similar than different because what's the ask? How did you find the patient? What's been done so far? Where's the patient now and what's your plan? You still have to go through those five points. So those, those are the five points that listeners out there, if you wanna take home the framework, that's really it. What's the ask? Well, I'm asking to grant this patient a refusal. How did you find them? Who's responsible for them? Are they responsible for themselves? What has been done so far? So what information have you found so far? Have you talked to family? Have you talked to law enforcement? Have you talked to the power of attorney? Where is the patient now? Are they agitated? Are they intoxicated? What are their vital signs? And then what is your plan? Do you think they can refuse or not? Going back to a past episode, urge you if you're interested to think more about refusals and how we approach refusals at MCHD. We talked about our fears mnemonic on, on a past episode and how to approach the difficult high-risk refusal. F, full vitals. E, explain real risk to the patients. A, ask for assistance. That's what you're doing with the consultation. That's what you probably should have done with family and law enforcement and fire and other folks on scene to try to help you out to get the patient to go if that's what, if that's what your goal is. After you've consulted, you've got to record the incident and record to capacity. And you have to be supportive to the patient. So full exam, full vitals, explain real risks, ask for assistance. That's the consultation portion. Record your incident and be supportive. And you can't do any of those things unless you know what capacity is. And that's that's what you said earlier. And I would agree 100% because that's what you're describing the patient has if you're going to grant a refusal or if you're going to urge transport, law enforcement involvement, potential sedation. You're describing that they don't have capacity and they're high risk or they're dangerous. So if you're listening out there and you're saying to yourself, well, we don't delayed sequence intubation. What does this have to do with us? Well, you consult for something more than likely. You deal with difficult refusals and high risk refusals. You're probably going to consult on those. There's lots of different medical situations, protocol situations that could arise that necessitate discussing the case with your superior. So if you're going to do that, this framework applies whether it's specific DSI or not. I'd urge you to consider delayed sequence intubation because we think it's uh, best practice and we can talk more about that offline if you're ever interested. But you have to leave with the ask. You start your treatment. Don't consult before you've taken step one and step two. I've been guilty of that, calling the ophthalmologist or the hand surgeon or, or the pedist when I know that those subspecialists are needed, but I've not completed my end of the exam, my end of the workup. I have to get all of those I's dotted and T's crossed before I call them. Same thing with a consultation in the MS world. Gotta get your treatment started to see how the patient responds. Speak to your protocol, which means you have to know doses, indications and contraindications. Be organized, be concise, be clear, enunciate. If you're a nervous fast talker from Kentucky like me, you got to slow down and be very very deliberate. And this this would apply to any any consultation situation, not just delayed sequence. So, we'll have our consultation documents linked in the show notes. Take a listen to the Fears episode if you want more in-depth discussion on how to approach patients with capacity potentially or lack thereof and difficult high risk refusals thanks to ashley for bringing this one to us this was an entirely medic driven podcast and these are probably some of my favorites because they come really organically from field needs and field asks she's done a ton of work here in the district working on streamlining our, our consult process and and making it better and, w- and we appreciate that anything you want to add before we wrap up
1: um You know, I think one thing that I just want to make sure that um, to express is when you do your consult, if you have the ability to do it on a recorded line, to make sure to do that. So if you can call your dispatch center and have them record that, or if you have, you know, a radio that you're going to do your consulting on, most of our consults are done on a radio to make sure to do that on a recorded line. That way you can go back and listen to it or look at it. um, And Not only does that help the patient, but that helps you too. So you can listen to your own consult and see where did I mess up? What can I do to make it better and strengthen my foundation of this? So, I mean, that's the only thing that I want to make sure that everybody knows if you have that ability at your service to please make sure to do it on a recorded line. I've had people that reach out to me, they'll call my you know, work phone and calling directly to my work phone, if they're consulting, I tell them to call through alarm. That way it's recorded 100%.
0: Great point to wrap us up with because that really allows us as medical directors to know what was said, it doesn't become, she said, she said, he said, she said. It allows you to grow and to learn. Oh man, I was talking fast. Listening to yourself on tape, as I've done over these past three years, can be really, really eye-opening. So, great point. Do it on a recorded line, whether that's your radio, whether that's through alarm or dispatch, however that works in your service. It's an excellent point for us to wrap up on. If you have any ideas, questions, concerns, please email us at the podcast email, podcast at mchd hyphen tx.org please leave us a like or review wherever you listen or watch on youtube out there Uh, we love five stars don't give us four stars it'll hurt our feelings we're very very sensitive around here so Thanks for listening, as always. Thanks, Ashley, for joining us. We'll talk to everybody again soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod and Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.